Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Now, let me give you, if you will, if you have boredom during the Christmas season, all right? You've watched one too many Hallmark Christmas movies. Amazon Prime, and also on YouTube, is the old classic Francis Schaeffer's How Shall We Then Live? It's probably nearly 40 years old, and I'll be fair with you, those of you who want high def, this isn't. So you'll look at it, and it is very low def. But the information is phenomenal. And what it is, is it will take you to an understanding of how we've gotten to the place where we exist right now in our thinking process. And he will begin right at the the Roman Empire, and he will build on today. And I'll be fair with you, you'll look at it and go, wow, how did he know that 40 years ago? And those of you who have watched it, I will also encourage you, this is my third time, and it is rather heady for anybody who has not seen it yet. And a second time through or a third time through, all of a sudden you're appreciating some of the statements that slipped by you the first time. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't, uh, go back and read. But I want you to understand... um, One of the things that he teaches us, or that he will teach us, is that our thinking shapes our actions. All right? Starting nearly 800 years ago, Christian theologians, Thomas Aquinas specifically, began to debate how we can, what can we discover using not only God's Word, but our minds and our intellects. And he began merging a confidence in our human reasoning with the ability to know in God's Word. And over the centuries, mankind began to remove God's Word. What can we discover with only our own abilities? So we look down and we first attack it. What can we discover utilizing only our five senses and our reasoning abilities? What can we discover using only the material world? And by the time we hit the early 1900s, what we realized is philosophy and world thinking have got us to the point where everything in life is absurd. Starting with man's intellect, You can't find truth. And if you can't find truth, you can't make application to your life. All right? And the illustration was even given that there's no difference between helping the little old lady cross the road at rush hour and running her over. Intellectually, 
There is no difference. And isn't that a horrific place to come to? Because if we start with our minds, everything is left to just the desires of our hearts. And from that, we get to the point where there becomes only two values that the world will find of significance. And that is personal peace and affluence. Now it's important, Francis Schaeffer defines personal peace in this way. Leave me alone. I don't care what happens to the person across the street or across the world. I want my lifestyle to be undisturbed, regardless what will, what will it mean to my children and my grandchildren. I want it my way. Now, family, I want you to think through how that, what that ultimately means to us. This last week, Supreme Court Justice Alito speaking to the Federalist Society, said this, Tolerance for opposing views is now in short supply. Well, if you affect my personal peace, of course it is. But then it goes on to say, in certain quarters, religious liberty has fast become a disfavored right. For many today, Religious liberty is not a cherished freedom. It is just an excuse for bigotry and cannot be tolerated even when there's no evidence that anybody has been harmed. In other words, this is what he's saying is this. When you live out, when you speak out in religious freedom, when you express what the Bible says, then the declaration is, is because you said that, you're a bigot. And as a bigot, you can be stopped, even though there's no evidence of bigotry. You see, when personal peace becomes the highest value, don't bother me. I just want to stay home, be in my house, recognize my opportunities of life, and my significance is more important than anything else. What other value, and any value, that comes in and through you, that it's affecting your desires and your hopes and fears becomes something to be trashed and thrown away. The second key value left in the world today is personal affluence. So we judge how well our life is by the abundance of things. Now let's be, let's be fair as we start here. How completely out of step with Christianity and the demands of the cross, these two values are. Now, why is that important? It's important because we have just spent a year and a half studying the supremacy of Jesus Christ in the offer of salvation. So for 12 chapters, Hebrews has addressed the superiority of the offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. How He and He alone is God. How He and He alone bears 
the camaraderie of humanity, how He and He alone is superior to the offer of salvation that the law would supply, or supply, the offer of salvation and covering that the sacrifice means, the offering of salvation as coming through the man Moses or the individual high priest, he is, he is superior and the only author of our salvation. So just like the final two values that the world holds as precious, forgive me, there's consequence for what you believe. What you finally come down to and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. There's a natural consequence that we have to recognize as vital in our lives. And that's simply this. Holy faith demands holy living. So a Christian's behaviors should match the doctrine we believe. When the Roman world tried to condemn the first century church, they tried to attack any area of cultural failings, but they couldn't. One historian of the first century said it this way, they bind themselves by an oath, not to any criminal end, but to avoid theft or robbery or adultery, never to break their word or fail to repay a debt. Wow, what a great overview of a Christian at that point in time. Their, their belief, their doctrine shaped their behavior. So we come to chapter 13 today. And we're going to leave doctrine and as we leave doctrine, he's going to attack behavior. And it's almost natural to see this as, an, as a prologue, almost an attack on after the fact. But in fairness, if you really understand what our doctrine is, what we believe, then there should be natural consequences. There should be natural consequences. And we're going to see chapter 13 not as merely a prologue, but the author attaching to the doctrine the reality of how we should be behaving in the world today. And so family, we want, we want to come to Hebrews chapter 13. Again, we are going to go through this slowly because in fairness, some of them are presented in such a way that they are so piously scented we could finish this in, in one quick overview preaching. And you would go, oh wow, that is so good. That's so true. And you wouldn't apply one of those issues to your lives. So we're going we're gonna to park it a little bit. We're going to go slow through this. And we're going to walk through chapter 13 in seven steps. And today we're going to look at the first of these challenges, love, and hospitality. So if you will, join me in Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for whereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, 
and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Forgive me, but whatever child is banging that gong right now, I've never had that in church service. Have you? Has any of you? Let's dig in. Let's dig in. And I want to suggest our first thing is, is love a lot. Love a lot. And it says here that let brotherly love continue. So I want to read every verse in Scripture that we have of this unique word. And you all know it. We have it from that wonderful city on the East Coast, Philadelphia. All right? And if you're an Eagles fan, you know how well they really treat this, literally. One of the few NFL stadiums that have a jail for their bad behavior underneath. Philadelphia comes from two Greek words. Phileo, tender affection. Adelphos, brother, family member, or more literally, of the same womb. Of the same womb. So when, when this author is looking at all of us, He's looking down and going, because we know the Savior, we are connected in Jesus Christ by the gift of salvation. It's as if we're of the same womb. We're family. And that profound loyalty should be impacting to each one of us. So let's read all of the verses that are found in Scripture that use this unique word. Romans chapter 12. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Family, what if your week was spent thinking of sick family who needs a meal? A COVID-concerned family member who needs a phone call or a card or a word of prayer? What if, what if that was the collected church family's thought process? To look around the room and know that some can't come because of their concerns and their secondary issues. And you and I, recognizing their absence, sent them an encouraging card. Outdo one another in showing honor. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And family, I want to remind you today, our, our ability is naturally taught to us by the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you a reality. If someone finds Jesus Christ as their Savior, statistics will tell us they have very few Christian friends. All of their friends, by and large, are unbelievers. Within less than five years, they will not have one 
significant unbelieving friend. They will be so drawn to family that it will simply be a natural thing. So it's natural for us to be drawn to the family. But I also want to warn you, it can be stifled or enhanced. But we will be taught it by the Holy Spirit. Our last verse, 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says this, For this reason, in other words, you have the gift of salvation. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness. Now let me stop here. Steadfastness is the word endurance that we've been looking for. He said, so as you grow in maturity, remember part of your growth in maturity is going to be endurance. And in chapter 12, you're going to be taught through discipline how to endure. So that when you cross the finish line of life, you have enough drive to cross that finish line as a competitive spiritual athlete. So he comes down with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness. And godliness, ready? With brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For these qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in summary, all it says is this. As you tie your life in Christ to your life's behavior and growing maturity, your holy life is played out in the love you have for those in Christ and the godlike love you show them. Family, love for other Christians is vital to spiritual life. We can let many issues destroy our brotherly love for others. In fairness, one of the chief things that destroy our love is doctrinal difference. Now let me say simply this. We are not talking about salvation. Alright? If we're talking about brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, we're not talking about the gift of salvation. But I want you to understand in the traditions in which I grew up, I will, I will tell you the tie that binds also tied and gagged. Because I frequently was told, don't, don't talk to those, those people. Don't, 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 don't befriend that church. Before I came here as pastor, I will tell you, I went out to lunch with a dear friend of mine, Mike Broyles. Mike Broyles. I came back from lunch to, to my church staff. And they said, where did you go today? Well, I, I went out to lunch with Mike Broyles. You can't eat with him. Forgive me, but one of the reasons 
and strong reasons that I accepted the call to be here today goes back to that line. You have taught me much about the acceptance of brothers and sisters in Christ. And I have learned from you, not vice versa. But family, we can never, ever let simple doctrinal difference destroy the vitality that we need to share with one another in Jesus Christ. We learn, we grow as we're loyal to brothers and sisters in Christ. And I believe you're going to see in the tomorrows the vitality of why that's going to be so important as we see the world breaking down. Our brothers and our sisters, our family in Christ are going to become vitally and important. Forgive me, but the, the second is sin can stifle us. That's why we're told in Matthew chapter 24, uh, the words of Jesus, we're to forgive an infinite amount of time. Jesus says in Matthew 24, and because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Now, that can creep into a church having fought unloving situations all week long, you walk into church and you forget who you're with. And so church, the vital brotherhood, the vital meeting together as family can be just something that we hit the checklist, we were here to worship, and we left and we forgot the bond of Jesus Christ because we were so inundated by the stuff of the world that we simply forget the importance of who and what we are. Family, when we're honest with ourselves, let's be fair. Some Christians are easier to love than others. Right? Now I know what you're all saying. I'm the easiest guy in the room. And yet, we all look around. Some brothers and sisters are easier and less disagreeable than others. And as a result, we'll gravitate toward those we consider lovable. But Christ does not call us to love only those easy to love. If we really believe that we are imitators of Christ, if we really believe it, we must love all our family. And I, I give you an assignment during Christmas. All right? Look around the room and identify the one, the two, that you find less than easy. And make it an assignment to connect with them through the Christmas season. Make, a, make an assignment to prayerfully find a way to encourage. You may find that as you understand their story better, your love for each other grows and enhances. And so family, we want to show the world that our brotherly love, our family connection, is one of a kind incredible. Notice, somebody, notice secondly, 
a surprising hospitality. If you're at all willing to confront hospitality in a biblical reference, it means that you are vulnerable to abuse. In the second century, the playwright Lucian accused believers of gullibility for supporting the excessive wealth of con men. That trait hasn't stopped with us, has it? Man, we are so guilty, all we have to do is watch TV on any television evangelistic presentation and you can see the reality. If you want a fun assignment sometime, check Google out for the richest pastors in the world and you will be dumbfounded of the multiple millions, the jets, and some of the places that they're located is in third world countries, not America. And the thought of these men representing Jesus Christ in a third world country making more than the GNP of the country, got to be a concern. So family, understand, if you, you're going to confront hospitality on a biblical level, you're going to open yourself up to abuse. The early church sacrificed for the gospel and risked to advance it. The early church had a handbook. It's one of the first books that we recognize that the Orthodox Church wrote, and we can still consider it a remarkable tool known as the Didache. And it called a man a false prophet if he asked for more than one night's stay and more than one day's food for travel. The receiver was to be humble in what he received. And the giver was to give just what was needed. And so we learn that there is a responsibility that we should be generous and really share, but we should be discreet and careful in how we manage our hospitality, knowing that in doing so, we are risking our very efforts. The author, adds, or the author here adds that by showing hospitality to strangers, it says, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Now, let me encourage you on something. It says, some have entertained angels without knowing it. That's not to say that you're going to have an angel sign your guest book anytime soon. All right? It's referring back to, to Abraham. They're in Genesis. It's not promising that that'll happen to you. In fact, it probably never will happen to you. But the reality that he's teaching here is this. Don't minimize your acts of hospitality. It may prove far more significant than you could have ever imagined. Your risk in the lives of someone else may prove far more significant than you would ever know. 
So we're simply asked and reminded to go out of our way to be generous in the lives of other people. Matthew 25 reminds us that when we minister to those in need, we are actually ministering to Christ Himself. Notice, lastly for this morning, I would encourage you to maintain an outgoing sympathy. An outgoing sympathy. We live in a day, family, where the, the church of the world is being bombarded. We've never seen persecution like we have in the last 100 plus years. Like we've seen since the first three centuries. And in fairness, many of our brothers and sisters so fall off our radar screen of awareness that when we make an effort to pray for them in November because Voice of the Martyrs encourages it, it's almost as if it's the first time we've come back to that idea since the previous November. And I think, at least for me, that's to my shame. But understand, brothers and sisters are having it rough. Historically, John Chrysostom, a preacher from the 3rd century, describes the early church like this, that, that many of the believers would go into prison to communicate to the guards, hoping that by being kind to the guards and presenting themselves as loving believers, these men might be influenced to the gospel and therein be kinder to the men and women who were in prison. They would then go out and, in some cases, would sell themselves into slavery to buy out of prison those who were in prison. And you and I can't imagine risk-taking like that, can we? But that was the state of the early church. They, they so sympathized that their generosity was such that they would sacrifice their freedoms so that another would be out of prison to be effective in living again. Family, we should do our best to identify with those in need, to put ourselves in their places. We know that if we were starving, we would want someone to feed us. That if we were imprisoned, we would want to be visited. We should do for them what we want done for us were we in prison with them. And you and I understand this as simply the golden rule. However, you want people to treat you, so treat them. This is the law and the prophets. And so family, when we look at family members who hurt, we need to remember to be willing to join with them. We should show sympathy to the least in, in three ways. And I want to suggest to you, one would simply say, be there. Be there. 
If they're hurting and in the hospital, be there. If they're hurting and in the hospital, swing by. Let me tell you what not to do. Don't sit there next to them and stay hour after hour after hour after hour. They're in the hospital for a reason. But go in. Have a word of prayer. Hey, I care about you. Be there in them. If they hurt, send them a card. Be there. I want you to say, understand, secondly, give to their hurts. So Paul could say, and thank the Thessalon, excuse me, the Philadelphian, let's try again, the Philippi believers. You cared, you invested in me, even when no one else did. So there's a time when brothers and sisters in Christ may need our financial care. Thirdly, pray for them. If a brother or sister is in prison, the chances of you giving to them financially is probably going to be overlooked and insignificant. But you can pray. Paul says it this way, remember my imprisonment. It was an appeal for him, them to pray for him. They couldn't visit, they couldn't send money, but they could do something that was far more significant they could supply prayer powerfully. So family, as we leave today, as we recognize that this is going to be the last time we're together for at least three weeks, as we come into the Christmas season, first Thanksgiving, let's not make our, our number one priority not only Black Friday, but since we know that Black Friday has exploded into every day of the year now, Let's simply recognize this. Let's make a plan of attack, knowing that COVID is affecting not only our church, but the community at large. Let's have a strategy. Could we? Love a lot. Let's think of ways that make loving a significant part of who we are at CBC. Secondly, surprise people with your hospitality. Surprise people. Thirdly, be outgoing. Be outgoing in your sympathetic care for others. Again, I always appreciated growing up in the home that I did. My father worked at Ford Motor Company uh, his entire 30-year career. We would often go to funerals of people I've never met before. And it was always a, a unique trait because growing up in, in northern Ohio in my era of time, you still had all of these little ethnic enclaves and they all would be represented at work. So invariably I'd be going to a Roman Catholic Czech funeral. And you need to understand that the, the food afterwards was just one of a kind good. That would be true if you went to a German funeral afterwards. If you went to an African-American funeral afterwards. Man, the celebration of life in that moment of time is incredible. 
And finally I looked down and said, Dad, why do you go? He says, Pete, when you're with somebody at their darkest hour, it opens a door to needs where you can share the gospel of Jesus Christ later. And I never want to miss that moment. Family, what a great summary for Hebrews chapter 13 this morning. You and I, because of what we know in Christ, never want to miss one of those moments. Never want to miss a moment. So as we go through these next few weeks, what can we do to show the reality of the cross played out in our lives? Father in heaven, I'd ask that you'd, you'd, you'd take us from here today. Dear God, not in the despair of our, our moment in history. Not that we look down and say, oh, I don't get this, or I can't come back to this, or we have to worship this way. But dear God in heaven, allow us to be recharged in a little different way. Dear God, you're allowing this. If this wasn't in your plan, we'd be worshiping together next Sunday. Father, we'd have a fuller house and we wouldn't have a, a COVID scare in our community. So dear God in heaven, you're allowing this. What will we do as followers of you that promote the idea that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us? A love that we can't explain or express. But we can tell the story of the gospel. Father in heaven, what can we do to show our brothers and sisters who are in a different place in a different time that encourages them in love, in sympathetic care, and in hospitality? Dear God, I'd ask that you'd watch over us and allow us to be creative in the coming weeks that people see what we believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us? Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.